Are you looking to fine tune? Whether for your business, your job, your team, or yourself, in each episode, we will be discussing different ideas and opinions using real world examples to help you see opportunities, innovate, and succeed. Hi, it's Corby Fine, and welcome to Fine Tune. So many years ago, I was deep in the media business. And I remember lots of conversations with lots of different partners. We were trying to revolutionize and modernize the Canadian media landscape. Everything was going digital. And I was working at a big telecommunications company at a time in the media business. And while trying to figure out what to do in the market, there were some really smart people who were doing the same from their organization's perspective. And there were a few times we got together in these secret meetings and had these great conversations. We couldn't tell anybody about it because what we were trying to do was innovate. And God forbid, we innovated the Canadian media landscape. There, people were running scared. And one of those people is with me today, and it's a gentleman named Paul Burns. Now, Paul is currently the managing director of Twitter Canada. So he's in Toronto, and he's responsible for the overall vision, innovation, growth of the Canadian market for Twitter. Now, before that, he's had some incredible roles. There's a little agency called Huge, kind of a pun there, that he helped lead the Canadian operations for with brands like Nike and Google and Four Seasons, you know, really cool aspirational brands that we all want to work with and for at some point in our career. He was a vice president of digital at Shaw Communications and Shaw Media. Before Shaw, he was in all kinds of different executives. So you sound old now, Paul, but this happens when, when we get to these conversations. <laughs> Roles at companies like CanWest, uh, Simpatico, MSN, Nokia. Paul, you've been all over the place. And not just that, but you give back, currently serving on the board of Matthew House, a non-for-profit for refugees. I'm so honored to have you today. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Corby, thanks for having me. So good to be here. I don't even know if I can live up to that bio you just read, but I, I appreciate you. <laughs> the, uh, the, the conversations I've been having lately with different guests of my genre seem to start with this whole legacy of career growth, and all of a sudden we sound old. But um, anyway, yeah. you're, wearing, you're wearing a cool t-shirt, so that's all that matters. So listen, I've been really excited to have you on for some time. We've been going back and forth on scheduling, and that's because there's so much happening right now in the landscape of both social media en masse, as well as Twitter specifically. And I think over the last year or two or four, Twitter's been very, very, very much in the eye of the consumer, not just in Canada, not just in North America, but globally. And the platform's evolved. You know, I look back on the date when I started having an account, it's a long time ago, and it took me a while to figure out what to do with it. But I remember back when it launched, I really didn't know what it was supposed to be. Was it a social network, but it didn't smell like the big blue Facebook competitor. I couldn't really do anything of substance because of that character limit that it launched with. That was, you know, kind of cool, but I didn't really know what to do with it. But then the jackpot in my brain hit and it was like, wow, people are standing on street corners and they're telling me what's happening that's relevant and matters to me. So maybe you can give me a little bit of a perspective of what is Twitter today in 2021? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. What is Twitter? Well, 
It depends on who you ask. I would say if you were to ask Jack Dorsey, our co-founder and CEO, he would say that Twitter is the conversation layer of the internet. And maybe that's an aspirational characterization of who we are and what we're trying to do. But you know, that's, that's how he would view us. And when you think about our mission inside Twitter, and we talk about this often, our mission is to serve the public conversation. So even when you think about just the words I use there, just the language, it's, it's serving the public conversation. There is a conversation that is public. Uh, and I think deep down, if you kind of peel the layers back to that statement, I, we believe that when conversations are happening across many, many different types of viewpoints and backgrounds and on, on every possible issue you can imagine, when that's happening publicly, uh, you can actually make some inroads in actually making the world a better place. So Twitter is this conversation engine that is talking about what's happening right now in the world. Uh, and what's what's interesting about it too is that you can literally at any point, and I don't think people truly take advantage of this enough, you can dip your finger into Twitter and get a pulse check on what's happening in the world and what people care about. And so that's what Twitter is. Twitter is this conversation engine. It's this open forum where people can have the conversations they want about the things that they want. What Twitter's not, and maybe maybe that's a more interesting question, I don't know, but I, I would say where other social platforms, even like Instagram, Facebook, you know, you've got a platform that is primarily about look at me. I use those platforms. I, I, I love them. But the user behavior on those platforms is, is quite different. You've got this perfectly curated portrayal of your life to the world. And I, Twitter, we, we see a little bit of that, but it, it's predominantly look at this. So whereas Instagram is look at me, Twitter is look at this. It's pointing to a thing, an event, something that's happening in the world. And people are talking about that thing that's happening in the world. So across every possible dimension, news, politics, tech, gaming, you know, you name it. And Twitter is also, I, there's, a, there's a shelf life to Twitter too. There's a time sensitivity to it. When news breaks, you know, news breaks on Twitter. It is the source for most journalists. It is where stories get made and stories get told. And uh, I would say there's an immediacy to, to Twitter that maybe you don't see on other social platforms or tech platforms today, which we see that in a real way in COVID, in the pandemic, where people need to get real-time updates on what's happening in the world. Uh, and Twitter is often this default place to go to, to figure those things out. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of answering your question. That's, that's kind of what Twitter is. Yeah, I think the notion of even where to find and get yourself a vaccine and seeing how Twitter has become this default go-to where people help people. And it's a conversation to your point that it matters to a whole group of people, but at the same time, so does what's happening on a live episode of American Idol or something more entertainment. And I think you talked a little bit about it's what matters to me. And so it kind of doesn't matter at the scale of local or community or global. If it's relevant, there should be something happening around the conversation. And I think that's really a part of the interesting component. And the, the second piece you said around, it's not look at me, it's look at this. That's fairly telling. And so, you know, I guess for me, I've always seen Twitter also as a platform to cry for help. And by that, I mean, 
from a you know, customer experience, customer service perspective. It's not just news about things that are relevant to the mass, but to me. And there's a great story that I was sitting on an airplane once, literally about to take off on the runway. And I looked at the wall to my right and there was insulation exposed and the plastic on the door frame was basically off. <laughs> and a little panic set in. He started to sweat. I started to sweat a little. I'm, I'm generally a furnace anyway, but I started to sweat a little more. And I didn't know what to do. And I took a picture, I'll never forget. And I posted it on Twitter while sitting on the plane, taxiing to the runway and tagged the airline. And I said, hey, is this safe to fly? Now, I didn't get a response before I took off. I landed, so it was obviously safe. But by the time I landed, two hours later, there was a response from the organization. So. I guess that sort of fits in, but how do you how do you see that that sort of service and conversational component going between consumers and brands and, and organizations? Yeah, it's a good question. One of the most followed accounts on Twitter are brands, actually. And I think people are in this mindset when they're on Twitter where they're looking for what's new. They're seeking the latest and greatest. And you know, whether you're a fan of Tesla whether you're a fan of Apple or you just, you want to get the latest info on, you know, Bitcoin, you're in this mindset of like the latest and greatest information. And so I think that mindset also applies to a lot of organizations, how they think about customer service. And, you know, there is something compelling about calling out a brand on Twitter about customer service issues. We see it all the time. And there are certain brands <laughs> that are wonderful at this that they know how to respond in a moment. They know how to handle customer inquiries, but there are others that have no idea how to handle this. And we actually have data and research on time to respond. When you actually posted that photo, I'd be curious to know how long it took for the airline to actually respond to that. But there is actual data that supports this idea of the faster the response time, the more satisfied the customer, and the more you can actually turn a negative experience into a positive one. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I think brands are using Twitter for a whole lot of things. It's to communicate new things into the world. It's to connect with culture. It's to have their CEO and executive cast a vision for the future of their business. Um, and it's also to lead customer service and customer care inquiries. And in many ways, Twitter becomes this first line of defense for consumers to speak and engage with a brand. And when you actually get a response within 60 seconds or two minutes of actually posting a public tweet, it's pretty rewarding. And your, your perception of a brand really does change, we found. Yeah, I often ask people, what's their last 10 out of 10 customer experience? Like walk in, everything is so good and so perfect that you're willing to scream it from the rooftops. And 90% of the time, it's fun, you should try this, ask your friends. 90% of the time, it's the resolution to a problem right? The ability to just walk in and get a 10 out yeah. of 10. It's not that great, but when something goes bad and then it gets resolved, it's like, wow, they went above and beyond. But think of how expensive that is. And so what you just said really resonated because if I'm a brand and I'm thinking about, it may take me a while to solve the problem. I'm going to try and solve it. But the immediacy of just recognizing and acknowledging the response should go so far in that consumer's mindset. I know that if a brand like that airline did for me, simply acknowledged my concern, issue, fear, I'm going to have a great customer experience, even if it takes forever to fix the problem, because they at least recognized it. And so I see that as a, as a huge opportunity for the platform and brands as well. 
Totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. So I'd like to come back to what you said around, you know, news breaks on Twitter, because I think about the platform, both from the content side, you know, the information, the news, whether it's provided by me and you and someone standing on the corner or by an organization, a brand, a news outlet, a, a professional journalist. But there's this whole other side of, you know, advertising and obviously having to monetize the platform to keep it going so that we can do things like complain to airlines and get breaking news on the street corner. How does Twitter now think about both sides of that? You know, there's value on both. And when you think about organizing your business, where are you spending your time? Yeah, I think most of our views internally are pretty aligned on this topic. I would say that the state that we're aiming towards, our North Star maybe is a better way to frame it, is that you know, can purpose and profit coexist? Can we be a platform that actually improves the quality of public conversation in the world? And I think deep down, I think we honestly truly believe that conversation is the way to solve many of the world's problems. I don't think we're perfect at that. I think we have a lot of ground to make up. And I think we're doing some things really well and other things we're not doing well. But I think can that coexist with with profit is the, I think what we're shooting for. And brands are using Twitter in many different ways. Advertising is a primary revenue driver for us. Like most digital media companies, it's a, you know, it's a chance to connect with audiences around the things that matter to them, whether it's the NHL game that's playing tonight or the award show or some social cause that's important to you and your customers. So brands are using Twitter in many different ways. And I think what we're seeing on the brand side is brands move from Twitter is a mechanism to distribute my advertising to Twitter is a mechanism where I can actually become a conversational brand. I can actually develop a personality. I can actually have a tone of voice. And brands that do that well, I think, are the brands that really, really, you see a differentiated perspective in terms of their love from their customers. You know, brands that know how to speak and how to talk, know how to engage in a moment that is tied and relevant and maybe perfect for what they are trying to do as a brand. Or maybe brands that, you know, conversations that don't have perfect tie to the brand, but they're able to weave it back into uh, the services that they're trying to build. And so, yeah, I think that's that's kind of how we think about brands. You know, almost every major brand advertises and engages on Twitter. And so, yeah, it's an important part of our business. And I think our vision is that both of those things, the health of the public conversation and the profit that fuels that are are done in concert together, if I can say that. I'm curious, and I'm going to come back to the advertising thing in a second, but when we talk about brands and brand voice, but then we also talk about this notion of, you know, the breaking news, which often is going to come from the individual. Is there, you know, are you guys seeing differences or similarities between the, the value of that individual contributor or influencer versus that corporate entity? You know, what's getting consumed? Like, is it the stuff from my neighbor? Is it the stuff from my network of with the people I look up to as leaders in my space, or is it a series of brands? And can brands truly break through and become valued contributors to my news source and my content source? How does that, and how do you measure that? Like, I'm just, you know, I'm curious because I think a lot of people understand the value of that pretty picture on Instagram because they're trying to sell. Let's call it what it is, right? Th those platforms have become sales platforms. 
visual storytelling to sell stuff. And that's not what Twitter is. So how do you value and how do you measure the effectiveness of the individual contributor versus the brand contributor? Yeah, um, both both are totally relevant. Both are involved in, I would say, creating slightly different content for the platform. Um, good example of this is, you know, a couple of months ago, you remember the, you know, GameStop uh, investor situation. You know, I that wish- was- Money on it. <laughs> well, that was a massive, unprecedented conversation surge, and everyone was talking about it. And so, this is an example of uh, an issue, a conversation that's happening in the world. You know, what's going on with GameStop? What's happening with Blockbuster? What's happening with all these sort of you know weird institutional investors getting the shaft from the regular investors in the world? How do, how do you make sense of this? And everyone, if you actually dove into that conversation, which is what we did with brand partners, every financial institution, every fintech company, every trading platform was asking us, what are people saying about this? Um, And it's fascinating when you dig into a conversation and you actually peel back the layers of what's being said, what are the questions, what are people talking about? It was very clear that most people were just trying to understand this issue. What was going on? How, how do I make sense of this? Should I invest in this? Is this too risky? And so people were just desperately seeking financial advice around this one particular instance that came from a conversation. And so that is where brands start to tap into conversations that are taking place in the world that are surging. And we see this change every day on every number of topics. There's ebbs and flows, there's surges, depending on what's happening in the world. And so where brands actually start to lean in and is, okay, if I'm a bank or a financial institution and I see a whole bunch of people talking about needing financial advice, well, that's an opportunity for maybe to me to potentially share that I actually have a ton of financial advice offerings that may be beneficial to you. So it allows you to identify areas of interest for for brands. It allows you to perhaps, if the brand is ready, (laughs) insert themselves into that conversation in a relevant and authentic way. You know, brands got to be smart about how to do that in a way that's real and authentic and not just pushing ads down people's throat. But uh, I think that's really where the connection of the two come together is where you've got massive surges in conversations about a topic and you've got brands understanding that there is an opportunity to actually be of service and of value to people in those conversational moments. So I think that's trying to connect those two is really I think where we're seeing the the secret sauce come together. So as you say that, I I see rooms of massive servers and text analytics data scientists smashed together to try and help answer that. So what is the real answer to the question of what is Twitter doing to actually help brands and organizations uncover those conversations? Because to your point, if I'm a financial institution, yeah, I kind of want to be on the lookout for people looking for advice and not just from some Reddit advisor where there's a lot of liability, but from my professional certified licensed group of people sitting in branches and offices across the country. What are you doing? How, how do you actually help that? Yeah, it varies from client to client uh, and brand to brand. But I would say that the first step for a lot of brand partners is for us to identify the conversations that they want to be made aware of. And we, we typically put together conversational intelligence reports for brand partners, and that can be delivered on a cadence that makes sense for the partner. And so step number one is just understanding the conversations that matter. 
And there may be conversations that are very, very industry specific and brand specific. There also may be more macroeconomic conversations that may not be as specific to an individual brand. For example, one of the big ones from 2020 was the Canadian support for small business, this unbelievable small business need to feel like the Canadians were feeling that they desperately need to support local retailers and local shops and this desire to, you know, help drive small business growth in Canada. So that was a real conversation, but that was more macroeconomic. And so I think the conversational intelligence exists on a couple different dimensions, one at a brand level, one at an industry level, and maybe one at a more macroeconomic level. What are what are Canadians thinking and feeling about this topic? And so, so yeah, that's that's really how we work with partners. We help them understand those conversations. We help them tap into those conversations. And then we try and map their brand. What is their brand all about? What are they uniquely trying to contribute to the world? And what are they trying to communicate? And what are the areas that are important? A lot of brands today, as an example, are interested in environmental sustainability. So, you know, where are the points of intersection between their brand and that conversation on Twitter? And sometimes for us, it's just surfacing those conversations to them, giving them an opportunity and a almost a, a path to actually engage in a conversation in an area that makes sense. Um, so, so step number one, identify those conversations Make sure that people understand those conversations on a regular basis, understand where you want to participate, where you want to uh, maybe not participate, and where you want to actually maybe start conversations on your own. The next step is to understand how does your brand actually translate in conversational form? <laughs> and, and we work with brands all the time on this where it's like you've got the legal copy that's actually coming across in the advertisement that's really just not a conversational mechanic. And so I think a lot of what we try and do is just let's let's bring your voice and tonality of the brand into the Twitter conversation in a way that's relevant. And we just actually launched a new product called Twitter Spaces, which is um, which is another way the conversation actually could manifest, which is using the human voice. And it's actually audio conversations uh, on Twitter. And it's one of the products I'm probably the most excited about. And one, one that I think brands are going to be really lean into, how do I actually sound, feel, and express myself audibly? Uh, what does that look like and feel like? So we actually help brands decode that and, and build a blueprint and a roadmap for how to, how to engage in those conversations that matter. So the reason the character limit changed was to allow for all that legal copy in the ads, right? <laughs> well, I would I would say that, you know, some of the most creative ideas are born out of limitation. And so the the fact that we actually had a character limit at the outset, a lot of people were were pissed at that. But I I honestly think that the fact that brevity was required made Twitter more interesting. It actually forced limitations forced restrictions enabled better creativity and better uses of the platform. And I, so that was intentional when we designed it that way. <laughs> I remember going to market with uh, asks sometimes to write the response to the question, whether it was a job application or some sort of pitch in the form of a tweet. And that restriction to your point absolutely forced you to think two, three, four, seven times before you hit the button. Cause you had a limit. You had to be really crafty within the constraints. Yeah. Yeah, and and short, punchy, pithy tweets that say something important always, almost all the time, perform better than 
you know, long-winded <laughs> explanations with lots of nuance and details. And so that's, yeah, it's, it's, that's the best practice. So one more question around the advertising evolution then, because obviously to your point earlier, you know, the platform needs to be able to generate revenue in order to sustain and grow. So you talked a little bit about this notion of conversational analytics and mapping brands to what's going on in the world to be part of that. Talk to me about the evolution of the revenue side. When you think about the advertising capabilities, the products, the ways in which brands can actually not just get involved, but pay to get in front of the right audiences. What's going on on that side? Yeah. Um, so we have a whole suite of ad products that exist. One interesting tidbit on our ad products is that um, I've been at Twitter for about three years now and our ad stack, our technology stack for our ad products was so old and legacy that there were so many limitations. Anytime you wanted to add a new add a new product or or evolve a product that it was in existence or introduce something that's that's new, just was just the, the labor involved in, in actually deploying those new ad products was just so extensive. And so a year ago, we actually rebuilt the entire ad stack at Twitter. And so what we've seen actually happen from that is uh, just an incredible cadence and deployment of new ad products in the last 12 months. And it's been really exciting to see. And the future horizon for product development and cadence of releases is is super, super exciting. And so, so brands sometimes think that Twitter is text only, and that's maybe from our heritage uh, and the origin of Twitter. But I would say where we've seen most brands lean into across all the promoted ad products is video. And video tends to be one of the most high-performing and most frequently used ad product that we have. Every broadcaster, every publisher, every news organization is on Twitter. Uh, and so with all of these partners that actually put their content on Twitter, you can actually buy pre-roll advertising against that content. And so so it's it's a very real subset of our business. It's probably the fastest growing subset of our business. And we don't do much user-generated video content. I would say that the predominant video content that's on Twitter is broadcast partnerships from either the NBA, MLB, NHL, major sports broadcasters, et cetera. Um, sports is massive on Twitter. And you know, if you, if you looked at Sportsnet or ESPN or any of the major leagues, you'll just see the volume of video sports content, the highlight reels. It's, it's pretty predominant. So if a brand or an advertiser wants to connect to the Maple Leafs, or, you know, the NBA, I won't mention the Raptors, um, <laughs> you know, this is an opportunity to do that and actually connect to the fans and the conversation around that. And so, yeah, there's a whole suite of ad products that exist. I'm probably the most excited about our audio products coming out. I think there's something really interesting there that I think brands will be able to tap into. And our takeover products too, are actually some of the most exciting things that we have. You want to take over Twitter for a day, you know, we have some pretty cool products that allow you to essentially become, you know, the most talked about brand in the country for a day. And so, yeah, so you'll see that evolve and migrate and change and improve over the coming weeks, months, years. I know some politicians that would love to take over Twitter for the day, but uh, some aren't allowed anymore. Some are, but hey, it is. What yeah, it is. we 
We banned political advertising on Twitter actually a year ago. And so um, we were actually the first platform to do that. And I think the theory behind that is political influence should be earned, not bought. And so, yeah, if you, if you are a political party, you are not allowed to buy advertising on, uh, on Twitter right now. They can tweet organically, but they, they can't buy ads. So just a couple of quick off the cuff questions to kind of wrap us up here on unplanned, unrehearsed. Ready? So at the top of the list of all the people or brands you follow on Twitter, where, who's number one? Where's your go-to? Yeah, that's good. I, there's a lot of people I, I like to follow. I, right now it's Vax, Vax Hunters Canada. Um, maybe that's just the moment that we're in, but I, I find that, um, I get a lot of requests from people on help to find vaccine appointments and I direct them there uh, at vaxhunterscan. At, at vaxhunterscan is the handle. It's one of these remarkable success stories where they've got over 250,000 followers in a little over a month and they're posting, you know, dozens of times a day on vax appointments across the whole country. So, and most people are finding vaccines because of them. So, that's probably my go-to at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, they've uh, they've created a bit of a cottage industry where I know a lot of people in different neighborhoods who take that, personalize it, and reshare it out through other social platforms to their network too. So it's uh, it's a great service and a and a great example. Um, what's the last tweet you sent out? Jeez, I'd have to I'd have to check. I don't even remember. Um, give me give me two seconds. I'm pulling up my. So the last tweet that I sent out. Um was a tweet about mothers, actually. Let me read it to you. Dear moms, you make impossible look easy. You sacrifice your life for others. You give without getting. You love without an agenda. You see potential in pain. You see strength in heartache. You see character in setbacks. You see who we're becoming. You are superheroes. And that's that's completely relevant to the conversation because it's not about look at me. It's about look what's going on in the world. And, and it was a really timely tweet. And I kind of want to end on an emotional note, but I have one more question to ask you. (laughs) Other than Twitter, where is, where is the best place to kind of get the news, get the break, find out what's going on? What are other sources that you, who works for the Twitter brand, where else do you go? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I primarily go to Twitter candidly. Um, It's usually my go-to in the morning. It's where I get a sense of what's going on in the world. If anything's major, breaking i can dip into twitter for you know 60 seconds and get a good handle on the major things happening in the world right now so i usually do that multiple times throughout the day i don't know if that's the obvious answer but that's that's i don't have many other news sources other than that candidly it's okay you've worked at all the different publishers before so uh you know (laughs) when twitter's the place listen paul burns um managing director twitter canada who I think expressed it best, you know, a platform where purpose and profit can coexist. I mean, I think that's just really a, a great line. And and it's it is different. It is distinct. It's not about this incredibly visually, you know, sort of manipulated environment of of pretty pictures. But it's it's really a source of information and where you can get your I'm about to get on an airplane and fly fears oh, 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 taken care of by the airline in my personal circumstance. So thank you so much for explaining all of this to us. I really look forward to the continued evolution of both the content side, the news side, as well as the advertising side, because I do play on both sides as well. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. Hey, Corby, thanks for having me. Great, great, great to see you. Take care. 
listening to Fine Tune. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me on Twitter at CFine, through LinkedIn at CorbyFine, or visit my website, CorbyFine.com. Fine Tune is produced by me, Corby Fine. Thanks for listening.